So if you are thinking about a career in consulting or just are quite ambitious and want to get ahead, I would definitely say figure out some passions and drive some energy into those passions. Welcome to another episode of Chan with the Plan, the podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy actual steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you can stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. And I'm your host, Max Chan. When professionals feel stuck, they commonly resort to education. And from a traditional education perspective, they tend to go towards investing in an MBA. And one of the more common occupations that MBA graduates gravitate towards to is consulting. And I was fortunate enough to interview a professional that has done both those things. She has completed her MBA and she also worked in the consulting space. So I wanted to bring her on to discuss her experience with getting an MBA, her experience with consulting. So for anybody listening to this episode, to help them make an informed decision if they are thinking about getting their MBA or if they're thinking about getting into the consulting field. Her name is Zaina Aligi, and she is an ex-consultant and financial services professional who has worked in tech for the majority of her career. She has experience in some of the world's leading finance institutions and is an advocate for women in finance and women in technology. Zainab is also a co-host of a podcast, Lattes with Leaders, and the director of an investment organization. She is an avid angel investor and mentor to budding startups. Zainab loves to travel and has also visited over 53 countries worldwide. Now let's get into my discussion with Zainab on her experience with getting her MBA and her experience in consulting to help you make the right decision for your career. Hey Zainab, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. How's the weekend treating you so far? It's been glorious in Sydney, great weather, so it's definitely been a beach bum weekend here. Great. I'm glad you're able to set aside some time for us to discuss your career because there's a couple of things I wanted you to share with us. The first is how to get into consulting. And then the second one is if someone's looking to advance their career, usually when it comes to business professionals, they tend to default to an MBA. Is it still worth getting an MBA during this current climate? So let's start off with the first question. Why don't you give a little breakdown, Zainab, about like, how did you get into the consulting space? Yeah, so I suppose there's two routes really into consulting. So you can either join straight after university as a graduate, or you go in as an experienced hire. So I did the latter, um, but I'll talk to both. So consulting firms for graduate programs generally look for the cream of the crop. So a graduate program is basically where you're coming in straight after university with limited experience, and then they put you on a very structured program to get you up to speed very quickly. And they get thousands of applications, right? So the big consulting firms like the Accentures, the PwCs, even the McKinsey's, etc., will get a lot of applications. So generally, they tend to do quick filters off the bat. And that's on things like obvious criteria like grades and university. And although I had great grades, my university wasn't one of the highly ranked universities in the UK, but it did give me a lot of diversity and a well-rounded resume, which meant I had a lot to talk about once I got to the interview stage. But actually getting through to that interview stage is a bit of a challenge. So 
I applied to a lot of consulting firms, but I didn't get in through the graduate route, which meant the next route I had was around experienced hires. So I basically re-strategized and sought graduate rotational programs at other global companies. So, you know, large organizations generally tend to have a program for new grads. And again, you rotate through different divisions through that rotational program. And they generally as well give you access to quite senior mentors within the organization who have a vested interest in developing young rising talent. Um, So I went on to one of those at Aviva, which is a large insurance company in the UK, but it is global. And through that rotational program, I had 18 months where I worked on three different big, large programs. I had two head of mentors and a director who was also a mentor of mine and they really helped me pick where I wanted to go and why I wanted to go there as well as giving me a lot of opportunities because they had visibility at that level and then once I finished the graduate rotational program I was thinking about this company was based in Norwich which for anyone from the UK they will know it's a very small city um very remote from any other cities in the UK. And so part of what I was struggling with is I wasn't able to really get that network outside of the office. So what I did was I sought an opportunity in London. So I got approached for by a fintech for an operations role. And I was like, yeah, this is my ticket to London. I'm going to go there. What I realized is startups are great. They are amazing places to really learn very quickly, um, problem solve and implement over short periods of time. So I did six months there and I loved it. But I was only two years into my career and I knew that logic and structure was important to me. So being able to build really strong structures and capabilities to enable an organization to scale quickly was a gap that I had when I was working at the startup. And that's when I thought, okay, I got approached by a recruiter for a consulting job. And I was like, I think this is actually the right place for me. And at that time, because I was two years into my career, that was um, an experience hire. So I got into the consulting firm as a consultant and was able to leverage my previous experience to just fast track there. Great. And what's your experience in management consulting? Because some professionals want to get into that space. They think it's like a lot of travel, working with clients on like strategy and stuff. So what was your take on it? And what was the experience that you gained as a management consultant? Yeah, great question. So I did really love my time in consulting. So I worked in financial services, consulting and specifically large transformational projects, but I did a lot with C-suite on innovation and strategy as well. And I think if you are going into the space, the benefits of consulting are amazing. So Yes, you work hard, but you get to do projects and manage people and do things that even at any level, you probably wouldn't have the opportunity to do if you did work in industry. So I think that's a massive benefit. And I think just that structure that it gives you. So being able to roll out best practice to clients and the variety of clients and the variety of problems that you get to work on is really interesting and can build a great base for moving your career forward. 
In terms of working away a lot of the time, so I can only talk to my experience, but because I worked in financial services and I was based in London, I didn't really travel that much. So if you do want to travel, then that's probably not something that you are interested in. But if travel isn't something that you do want to do, basing yourself in a hub of where the companies that you're going to be working for are, the likelihood of you traveling is quite limited. So I think I did like a couple of weeks here and there and I had to go out to visit I had a large team based in India and so I had to go out there once or twice but generally I was in the London office for the majority of the period the other thing I'd probably talk to is salary so consulting firms do not pay that well for how hard you work so if you're looking for high salary going into consulting I think that's probably not going to be for you however if you are looking for a good salary but upskilling very very quickly and climbing up the corporate ladder quickly that's what you get from consulting and therefore on the other side of consulting you'll find that your salary ends up being quite high afterwards so to touch upon that in more detail people well professionals assume that when you get into a consulting firm such as the one that you want to you tend to get paid like a good compensation package but you're but then the other question is like i heard that you do have to spend a lot of hours way more than the 40 hours that is generally comes with a standard work week so what's the work-life balance like there and why do people assume that you get high salaries in consulting i think in terms of work hours I worked very hard. So I did work long hours in the office. You know, Saturday working or Sunday night working wasn't that uncommon. However, I think a lot of the big firms now are getting a lot better at providing consultants with work-life balance. But you generally do find in consulting firms, it is younger people who don't necessarily have families. I think the type of people that go to consulting firms are the ones that do want to work hard, do want to progress their career quickly. I think that the misconception though about salary is because you are working that hard, I think the expectation is that you're going to be compensated for that. But I would say if you did the equivalent, so prior to consulting when I was working in industry, I was getting paid very well and I was doing kind of your normal work hours. So nine to five, nine to six in consulting, you know, you're working. Sometimes you'll be in the office from like eight till seven, eight o'clock at night. I've done like 2 a.m.s before as well, Saturdays sometimes. And your salary compensation for the additional work is not really comparable. But people don't really go into consulting for the salary. Like if you're going in for the salary, I genuinely don't believe that you have the stamina to make it through because it requires you to work very, very hard and it requires you to have an end goal for that period that you're in a consulting firm. So whether that is, you know, learning, whether it's getting a senior role on the other side, whether it's compensation on the other side, whether it's the amount of clients and the network you get, but you've got to have a goal for going into consulting because generally people do, you know, three to five years max, but I would say most people do about two to four years. So the firm I worked at, and generally they're about the same, you have different levels and you're expected to progress through the levels every few years. And if you aren't able to do that, there has to be a a value add that you're still able to give to the project. So 
our firm started with analyst, which is two to three years experience, consultant, which is three to five years experience. And then you've got manager, which is kind of five to 10 years experience, and then senior manager and then partner. And so generally, people do do, you know, stints um, to get from one to the other, and then they move on. There obviously are people that just love being in consulting and they tend to stay, but that's, I'd say, a smaller proportion of people. Yeah. So to add to that, usually from what I've heard or seen is that professionals will go into management consulting. And like you said, they'll work for about like two to four, three to five years. And then once they put in those hours and get that experience, then they actually move to industry to get the higher compensation. Is that generally what the career trajectory is for a consultant? Yeah, I would say so. Although naturally, there are a proportion of people who do stay in consulting, and that's totally fine. But I think people do move around a lot, either between consultancies or going back and forth from consulting into industry. And when it comes to going to industry or going to industry after you've done your time in consulting, what type of industries do they usually go to? Like, Is there a lot of options? Or is it like based off the client work that you did? And then you transfer to the industry side based off the clients that you work with in that industry? I think you can definitely do both. So I've seen a lot of people on projects where then the clients approach them for a role and they've moved over in that way. I've also seen a lot of people, you know, just naturally move into their affinity. So I'm in financial services. I moved to a bank on the other side of consulting. Or you could even go to other industries. I think that's the benefit really of consulting is there are a lot of opportunities on the other side. And I think you could literally do anything you want to do. It's just a case of you putting yourself out there, particularly if you've worked for a brand that a lot of people know and there's a reputation. So the consulting firm I worked at had a really good brand, particularly in North America and the UK and Europe. Having that brand on my resume, as well as having the experience that I had and the network, there were quite a few opportunities on the other side. It was just a case of me figuring out, you know, what was important to me. And I think that's probably a key point around this is regardless of what you want to do, before you even think about kind of applying to places and trying to get that to land a job, you really need to know why you're doing it. And so I realized fairly young, there were three key things that were important to me. So money, learning, and a sense of freedom to pursue my interests outside of work. And look, you know, everyone has a different view of why they work. But for me, that was really what drove me. And so whenever I was thinking about a role, whenever I had a few options on the table, it would always come down to those three things. Is that role going to give me a financial leg up? Is the role going to allow me to learn something new or grow my skills? And is it the type of industry that will allow me to do things like I have a podcast, so I want to drive a lot of my time into that. I also do a bunch of other stuff outside of work. Um, so I didn't want really the long hours. And so I think that's when I realized my time in consulting had come to an end because the hours weren't allowing me to do extra stuff. As like in London, I was applying to MBAs outside of consulting, but I was doing my applications and my GMAT prep at like one, two o'clock in the morning when I finished work. So that just wasn't sustainable in the long term. 
That makes sense. We're going to get into the MBA discussion in a little bit. But just to wrap up our conversation with consulting, what is some advice that you can provide for people that want to get into consulting but didn't go through the like school to consulting right away route? Which you said you went through the other route where you didn't go through the grad program, right? Like you went an alternative way, right? Yeah. So what I would say is I have always filled my time outside of whatever I was doing, whether it was school or university or work. I always try and fill my time with other things that are helping me build practical skills. So if you are thinking about a career in consulting or just are quite ambitious and want to get ahead, I would definitely say figure out some passions and drive some energy into those passions outside of kind of university or your day job. And I would also say like coaches and mentors are critical to that. So I was very fortunate because of all this stuff I was doing outside of the classroom. So I did a lot of volunteering. I had a lot of internships. I used to have a job as well outside of school. I had a lot of coaches and mentors from kind of seeing me and seeing my work ethic. And they really helped me open my eyes to get to the next level. So my model really is work hard, find opportunities and build relationships, which will teach you how to progress to the next stage. And I've basically replicated that through school, through university, and then through my job as well, through the MBA. You know, working hard is a given. So at a certain point, you know, everyone assumes you work hard. Finding opportunities is a skill. You constantly having to browse things, look at what's going on, go to events, talk to people. And then building relationships is critical, I think, to really opening your eyes. So when I was at my first role, which was the graduate program that I progressed onto, it was actually the director, one of my mentors who was a director in the firm who mentioned consulting and was like, have you ever thought about this? And I was like, well, coming from the background that I came from, I didn't have any visibility of any of these things. I didn't even know what a consulting firm was at the time. And so she'd kind of said that. And then I went away and researched. And then she helped me really to figure out what skills do I need to build to get into a consulting firm. And she gave me those opportunities and open doors for me. And that I think is really intangible, but definitely is so important to building your career. And even in the role that I'm in now, I've been so fortunate to have multiple senior leaders mentor me and coach me and guide me to make de- career decisions that are actually going to benefit me in the long term. So yeah, that's kind of the framework that I use. And then I don't know whether you want me to also talk kind of the process as well of interviewing, etc. into a consulting firm. Why don't you walk us through how the interview process went when you landed your management consulting position for professionals that are already in the interview phase or are getting close? Yeah, so you go through an application process. I went through a recruiter who approached me about the role. And so he was really helpful. He gave me a lot of prep help, um, probably just because he was a good recruiter, but he helped me prepare for that interview. And then one of the first things I did was I checked my LinkedIn and checked my network. Was there anyone that I knew who was already in the firm? And actually someone from the graduate program I just left had joined the same consulting firm that I was interviewing for. So that was amazing because our experience and history was quite similar. And also he'd done that a couple of months prior. 
So I called him and I just, you know, asked him a couple of questions, you know, what's the expectation now that you're in the firm? What do they value? What are they really looking for in that interview process? And so for the particular consulting firm that I was interviewing at, they really look for innovation and problem solving skills. So the interview happens in three stages. So you've got the initial HR interview where you just run through your CV. That's pretty straightforward. Second interview is a case interview with a senior manager. And then the final interview was a partner interview, which is more behavioral based interview questions. So for the case interview, those can vary massively. So I've interviewed at firms that require you to do quite a lot of mathematical calculations like MPVs, fractions, whatever it might be to work out how a company might be able to, you know, recover from a loss, change market strategy, whatever it might be. Other firms may require very lightweight discussion. So you get given half a page of a case and your job is to basically suggest different options that the company might take. So frame the problem and then suggest potential solutions that you might want to explore further. My consulting firm was the latter. So in terms of preparation, it was more understanding cases that, you know, going through kind of MBA type case notes. So looking through a case, seeing where, you know, a Walmart, a large corporate organization may have had a problem, say it's they needed to move into a different market. They had a reduction in growth. They had high operating costs. And then looking through that case and seeing how they actually solved for that. And you can find those on the internet. There's a lot of them. And then what that gives you is ideas of what you can take into that interview, right? Because consulting firms, they aren't particularly innovative in terms of how they want you to solve the case. They're really looking at your rationale and thinking process throughout that case interview. So how can you reframe a problem, structure solving the problem and come up with innovative solutions as to how you might approach it or what you might suggest to the client? So that's really the prep that I did. Um, That does take a little bit of work. So if you are looking to go into consulting, I definitely recommend, you know, start doing cases weekly or something prior so that when you do get an interview, you can go straight in with a lot of confidence. The final interview is a partner interview. So for that interview, I generally use the star format for all behavioral interview prep. So that's situation, task, action and result. So situation might be, our company, the platform was falling over every single day. Um, the task that I had was to work out how could I stop that from happening. The action that I took was I assessed where the key problem areas were. I spoke to X, Y, and Z, and I created a process that resolved that issue. And then the result was the uptime went from 70% to 90%. And that's really the very common, for any interview, actually, I suggest using that format, but it's a very common technique that's used for any behavioral interview prep, which really shows you know, what value have you had to certain projects or situations within your organization? And how long did it take you from the final interview to getting the job offer from the firm? Not very long at all. So at the time when I was interviewing for the consulting firm, I also had three other offers for three other consulting firms. So, and again, my advice for this is if you are interviewing elsewhere, let them know because that gives them the opportunity to work faster if you need them to come back with things quicker or allows them to at least know that you're probably going to need to go into some sort of negotiation with them on salary or comp. So I already let them know that I was interviewing elsewhere. So they got me an interview within a week because I already had two offers on the table and I was waiting for the third to come through. 
And once I had all of the offers, I then went back and said, look, this is what I'm getting offered elsewhere. Can you match it or can you come anywhere close to this? That's actually a good thing you brought up because professionals aren't sure if it's too aggressive to let a company that they want to work for know that they already have offers in place. But you said that you suggest that to speed up the process and it also shows that if they're actually interested in moving forward with you, right? Exactly. So I wouldn't say fake it. Like definitely don't say you have offers if you're not interviewing elsewhere and it's the only place you're interviewing. But yeah, I generally say it's a really good way to make sure that, you know, they know you're wanted elsewhere. They know that you're probably going to have a fairly competitive offer from somewhere else. So that's already sets the expectation that they need to come in with a fairly competitive offer. And it's always good, right, if you're known in the market. So if other people want you, then that's always a really positive thing, even going into the interview, because instead of you trying to convince them they want you, they're trying to convince you that you want them. And I think that's a really good foot to go into an interview with. So you worked there for a couple of years, right? Management consulting? Yeah, so I did six and a half, but a year and a half of that, I was on extended leave sabbatical, basically, to do my MBA. Oh, God. Okay. So we're going to get to the MBA conversation in a minute. Let's say in summary, what were the pros and cons of your experience in consulting? So people who are looking to make that move are making a good educated decision. Yeah, so I definitely say the pros is the work is amazing. So if you are passionate about wanting to progress and learn that I genuinely don't think there's a better place than consulting, you'll get really interesting projects, problems that clients can't solve themselves. And you will learn a lot in a very short space of time. I call consulting a baptism of fire because you won't know how to do a lot of things, but you're going to be expected to deliver fairly promptly for the client. So a lot of the role is figuring out how to do that and how can you deliver the best possible outcomes to keep extending your role at the client or making sure that the client stays happy with the people on the project. I'd also say that, you know, if you are interested in things like travel, if you are interested in working at different clients and really getting your feet fully stuck into an industry, consulting really allows you to do that. You're going to be working on lots and lots of different clients. You're going to get sales experience as well, because a lot of the times you're expected to help on RFPs, so tenders. You're going to get experience working with senior leaders within that organization, which helps you be able to articulate and frame very quickly to directors and executives within the organization. And travel, as I mentioned, I didn't really get to travel that much, but In, I think, the US or any of those kinds of hubs, you will get some travel opportunity. And although you are stuck in the hotel or on the client site for most of that time, so don't expect that you're going to be going out and seeing um, all the local sites or going out for dinner every night or anything like that. It is pretty hard work. However, what it does give you is lots of points. So you can get hotel points, um, airline mileage, which will allow you when you do go on holiday, you're basically doing it for free. So that's an added bonus to consulting. Awesome. So let's talk about the MBA side of your career story. So what made you decide to go on a sabbatical to take an MBA? Yeah, it's an interesting one. So I originally came across MBAs way back in during my undergrad. So I am, um, they're not really that well known on the UK university circuit during undergrad, but I did a study abroad in the US in Virginia. 
And there, a lot of people who I was, you know, friends with were thinking about MBAs already. And I was like, what is this? I have no idea what this degree is. I've never heard of it. No one in my family had ever done anything like this before. So after getting some, like people, you know, mentioning it, I then went back to the UK, finished my undergrad. And again, didn't really think about it. But when I started working, I started to go on a pretty quick progression path. And so for me, when I wanted to do a master's originally, I wanted to go and do psychology master's. And I thought that was like a great way of, you know, leveraging my undergrad in psychology. But as soon as I started working, I realized actually the skills that I need to work are going to be very different. So I was a generalist from the beginning of my career. So what I needed was depth in certain areas of the business that I would have never touched. I'd been in change and tech within big financial companies for a long time. So I hadn't touched anything like supply chain management or marketing. And I felt like the MBA would really give me that knowledge that I'd almost missed by managing teams from sort of 23, 24 onwards. And the second thing that I was lacking is my immediate network. Most of my friends, family, etc., are in the medical profession. So they're pharmacists, dentists, being like an Indian girl. And they generally had followed fairly conventional career tracks. And I found I was really lacking people in my support network to go and talk to when things were tough at work. When I had a particular problem, like I had a really unmotivated direct report. Um, how do I motivate them? And I really was struggling to find those connections in my circle. And so I felt that the MBA would be able to give me a network that I'd be able to leverage as I progressed in my career moving forward. And so those were the two motivations that I had going into that program. And finding a school was a big challenge as well. So whenever like anyone's thinking about an MBA, I'd say the key thing is make sure you go to the right school. And that doesn't mean the top school for everyone, right? For me, what was important was I wanted to be part of a very small cohort. I just moved to Australia. So I knew that actually moving to the US or moving back to Europe was a bit unrealistic at that time. So I knew I wanted to probably stay in Australia. And if I was going to do that, I wanted to make sure that my Australian school had a study abroad and international top ranked MBA program. So I could get the profile of both universities on my resume and on my history and also access to that network because I didn't know if I was going to be staying in Australia during the long term or not. So that becomes really important, right? So some schools, for instance, if you really want to go into consulting or you really want to pursue marketing, then there are certain schools or finance, for instance, there are certain schools that are known for that. So like Kellogg, really well-known marketing school, Wharton, extremely well-renowned finance school. So that is important because the people who are going to become your network, you want to make sure that they're looking at similar industries to you. Because if you know you want to jump into that industry, then you want people around you that are also looking to make that jump and then ongoing you want to make sure that you've got people around you that are constantly you can learn new things off they're looking at um x y and z you know you've got similar work situations etc etc so that was also a big factor and probably is for a lot of people I was coming out of consulting so I felt like it was more of a I don't know what I want to do so that's I was a little bit less concerned on the school's reputation from that perspective 
And in regards to the MBA application process, how do people prepare or what's involved in the application process in order to get approved and accepted into a program that they want to go with? Yeah, this one. Okay, so anyone thinking about doing an MBA, getting in is really the hardest part. So once you're on the program, it's fairly easy. Most MBA programs, you get a lot of help. Grades don't really matter once you're on the program, etc. But getting on is probably the most challenging part. So there's two exams um, that you can take to get onto an MBA program. The most common is GMAT. So every single school pretty much requires a GMAT for a full-time program. And some schools will take a GRE. Those tests require, I would say, six months plus in prep. It just depends on how confident you are with your math skills and vocab skills. But I would say, yeah, six months to a year preparation for taking those tests. And you want to make sure you get the top end of the score. So most schools will have a benchmark score, an average score that they want you to get from those tests and they want you to be well-rounded so you can't be really good on the math side and your vocab scores really low or vice versa they really want well-rounded students coming into those programs and most schools are also ranked on that so that means that they are looking to get the highest GMAT score that they can because the global rankings are based off that GMAT score So that's the first piece. The second piece, again, requires probably a year or two of prep is your application. So the applications generally are an essay format and you might have between one and three essays that you have to prepare. And what those essays are really trying to do is tease out, is the school the right fit? What value add are you going to have to the rest of the cohort? Where's your passion? What is that thing that you're really trying to pursue? So my career really has been baselined against women and creating more opportunities for females in finance. So a lot of my experience and my things outside of my job were to do with elevating females in finance if you don't have anything that you're doing outside of your day-to-day role I think that's really challenging to write those essays because those essays are focused on extracurricular activities that you're doing so I'd say that's a given you just need to have things going on outside of your job and that's really where they again it's about being well-rounded And then finally, obviously, like the research around the school. So that isn't a huge activity, but would definitely recommend going to, there's a lot of MBA university fairs that you can go to. And that basically has lots of schools. You can talk to the admissions team there, advise, you know, getting in contact with alumni. MBAs are generally fairly friendly. And we all understand that networking is a key part of life. So you can reach out cold to a lot of people if you're interested in the school they might have gone to I think most people are fairly happy to give you a bit of time I'd say that whole process so I worked on the end-to-end of that for about three to four years before applying to a program and you can't in the same way of you want to make sure that whatever schools you're applying to as well are consistent because I think I might be wrong on this but I'm pretty sure that they can see the other schools that you've applied to And each essay is unique to that school. So if you're doing multiple applications, that's going to take you a lot of time. And the charge for applications as well is like two to $300, sometimes up to $500 for some schools. 
So that's another thing to bear in mind is be really clear on why you're doing it, why the school's the right fit up front, and then apply to a small amount of schools with a really quality application versus trying to apply to multiple schools without really any understanding of what you're doing and why. And what's some advice that you can provide when it comes to doing well in the MBA? Because you said earlier that marks don't matter as much as like undergrad. So can you elaborate more on that? And how can people perform effectively to graduate and get their MBA? I think for MBA programs, look, you're not going to fail out. Like this definitely isn't that type of program. However, what they really look for is teams like can you work effectively in the team so throughout your MBA every single course that you do will have at least one to two team assignments so you need to be able to and that's part of you and that is a really big part actually of the value that you get from an MBA is working in high performing teams over and over and over and over again and understanding the difference between leading a team and following your leader and that's it and that's very key like even as a leader you're not always going to be the top of the top you need to be able to follow as well and that's part of the core learnings I would also say getting stuck in you know networking is also a key reason why people go on to MBA programs so whether that's making friends and genuine connections on your MBA program itself or being able to network with alumni and have lots and lots of coffee catch-ups and that's really what my podcast is about is around you know coffee catch-ups and how important and how much of a crucial part they are of the MBA experience And then I'd say lastly, the learning is there. I think it's more around how much you want to come out of your comfort zone when it comes to the educational side of the MBA. So if you're really happy with what you have been doing and you're going on to the MBA program for different reasons, maybe you just want an MBA, maybe you want the network, maybe you want the experience, maybe you just are burnt out and you want a year and a half out of um, work. But if you're going there for the education, I think you really, really have to push yourself to learn things completely outside of your comfort zone, things you've never done. I remember when I was at Cornell, I did one course where I'd never done any sort of data and analytics type work before. And I went from zero to being a able to create a machine learning capability to predict hotel prices in the space of seven weeks. And those kinds of stories, I think, are the ones that really you'll remember forever. And it gives you a lot of confidence going out into the workforce and being like, you know what, I can actually do anything. I can learn anything. And that's what's the most important part, not necessarily what your history has been and what you've been doing for the last kind of five to eight years. So yeah, I think just knowing why you're doing it and then focusing in on the areas that are important to you, I think, because you will go to a school and there'll be a million things that you can do. There'll be clubs, there'll be external events, there'll be president of this, vice president of that. There'll be, you know, unlimited amounts of networking opportunities. There'll be unlimited classes that you can take. And it's just about being really clear what opportunities make sense to you and which ones aren't worth pursuing because they're not important to you. Well, full-time MBA programs are two years, right? It depends. There are programs which are a year. So a lot of the European schools are a year. INSEAD, I think, is a year. Cornell do a condensed version, which is a year. And they also have a full two-year program. The program that I was on at UNSW was a year and a half. 
Okay, so what do you recommend someone do? I know if you do full-time, you can't make money at work, right? So they do a condensed program. And then there's the one that's better paced, so to speak, that's two years. So like, what do you recommend someone do, whether it's like one or one and a half or two-year program? I honestly think it's based on your circumstances. So what you can afford, because you're not going to get paid for that period of time. And the expense, let's not beat around the bush here. MBAs are expensive. So if you know that actually doing a two-year program is unrealistic based on how much money you have to commit or how many loans you want to take out, that's completely fine. I would almost say the MBA experience is very personalized. So for me personally, actually I was on the executive MBA program and I chose to move to the full-time program. So the executive programs are generally part-time and you're doing classes kind of weekly. You're probably doing one to two classes a week and you do two modules per semester and they take a lot longer. So you're looking at kind of two to four years to complete that process. And they're generally for more senior individuals as well. So they're generally been around for a bit longer and they're probably a little bit more senior. Um, Full-time programs I generally found were a little bit younger. I couldn't manage the executive program workload with my consulting career. So I knew that it was unrealistic for me to continue that. So I chose to go into the full-time program, but I got a scholarship. So benefit of being a minority woman is that there are a lot of scholarships for women. There's a lot of scholarships for minorities. So that's something else that might be a big factor for you. So when you're factoring in schools, you might want to look at things like the Forte Foundation, which provides a lot of scholarships globally for women primarily in UK, Europe and US schools. The school itself might have a lot of scholarships. So HSM is great. It has tons and tons of scholarships, particularly if you've got a good academic record historically, or you're in a good position in terms of, I was from a consulting background, so I'm quite attractive to a lot of MBA programs. If you've got also a great GMAT score, that opens you up to scholarships as well. So there's a lot of funding in this space. I definitely say, you know, whatever program you want to do and whatever you feel the right option is for you, investigate how you might be able to do that by getting scholarships, getting funding from elsewhere? Can you ask your work to potentially help you fund your MBA program? I know a lot of my friends have been able to do that. Most of the time it requires you a little bit of golden handcuffs where you're actually kind of stuck in the firm. But if they sponsor you, they're supportive of you doing the MBA, you'll generally find that when you come back into the firm, they're willing to compensate you accordingly for having that additional qualification on your resume. If not, you might find that when you jump, you can pay them back because the jump on the other side of the MBA might be larger than you expected. MBA programs are, if I remember correctly, at least in the US, it's 100, 150,000, right? Isn't it pretty expensive? Up to 200. Some oh, schools is it 200 do. now? Oh, so even more. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that's just your tuition. So you also have to factor in living costs. And I'd say the MBA timetable is pretty full on. So trying to do any sort of job outside of the MBA, I had a couple of friends who were still working part time. And I think that's particularly challenging because you're just not able to really get the full experience. If you are able to get an internship or something and there's a natural affinity there and it's a firm that you want to work for and you're interning, might be a different story. But if you're working just for financial purposes, I think that can be pretty challenging. 
So as I said, an MBA is not a cheap thing to do by any means. That's why I really emphasize why are you doing it? Like make sure your why is there and make sure then if you are going to a program, you're really clear about what you're looking to get out of that specific program and that specific school rather than just applying to the top 20 MBA programs because you actually might find you're worse off on the other side. Yes, it's a big investment, but people go into the MBA program for career growth and have a higher return ROI from a salary perspective over time, mm-hmm. right? So with that being said, why don't you walk us through, like once you got your MBA, what happened? Did you go back to your former company and did they give you more opportunities once you came back because you have your MBA? How did that all play out? Yeah, so I was on an extended secondment, like a career break, essentially, from my consulting firm. And they were very supportive during that process, which was amazing. When I was coming back into the firm, it was at the same level. So the conversations I had with my manager was, you know, because of the specific consulting firm I was at, there's not really any tangible outcome from an MBA. So her view was, you know, you come back, you work basically towards the next promotion cycle. So consulting firms have promotion cycles and Hervey was working towards the next promotion cycle was the way that I would be able to get the additional money or additional status, you know, moving to the next level. I didn't really think that was what I wanted. And I knew from some of the contacts that I'd gained over the MBA experience that I could double my salary elsewhere. So I decided to take that risk and I left consulting and went into industry. And it's a funny one, right? Because on reflection, when I came out of the MBA no, there was not anything tangible that happened. Yes, I got a higher salary, but I think I would have got that salary regardless because I was like leaving consulting, which isn't that well paid and going into industry. So that's always a jump. However, I would say the MBA has given me a lot of intangible outcomes. So for instance, the first role I got, my manager was an MBA. So she really valued MBAs. So the reason my role wasn't even advertised and she wanted me to come into the team because I had that MBA program under my belt. Second role that I took was also because my manager wanted someone from a consulting background who had an MBA. He also was ex-MBA from my school. So again, intangible, but an opportunity off the back of a network. Um, things like the podcast I do with my co-host. She's an MBA from my cohort. And a lot of the people that I have connections to that we bring on as guests for the podcast are MBAs or people that we know from the network. Other opportunities, I'm an angel investor. I only got into that because I networked during my MBA with a lot of other people. And some of them happened to be angel investors. I didn't even know what that was, but kind of got heavily involved in the venture capital space, startup space, and then decided to put my own capital behind that. So there's a lot of things that it's not like you're going to come out of an MBA. And just because you've got MBA next to your name, people are going to throw opportunities at you. It's not like that at all. However, the network and the exposure that you get to opportunities just through either your school putting on alumni events, you talking to people, whatever it might be, are a massive advantage. And I wouldn't underestimate that value because you might not get a bunch of promotions, you might not get a ton of extra money. But over the longer term, I think those things are invaluable. Like you'll always find that you're going to get opportunities put in front of you. And then again, it's what's comfortable for you and what you want to do. 
I actually uh, took a quick look at your LinkedIn profile to see if you actually put MBA on your headline. I know some people do that. So I'm just curious if you did that, but you didn't. And just to go back to what you just said, like you're not going to get that huge short-term ROI, as you mentioned, but you're going to get a lot of intangibles. And then over time, that is where the real career growth is, right? Exactly. Like I have doubled my salary since I left the MBA program. And that's not including the other opportunities that haven't necessarily fully materialized. But I agree with you. Yeah, definitely the intangibles are fully worth it. And another big factor, I think, is if you do want to work in a country, like in another country, and you weren't able to do it through work for whatever reason, Doing a degree, so it doesn't have to be an MBA, but doing a degree in another country is a great way to be able to get to work in that country afterwards. So a lot of people who go to the US, you get two years work rights following a master's degree in the US. In Australia, it's the same. I'd obviously got my visa and things, so I didn't have the same reasons for doing that. But I think that's another great way of getting into a country um, that you might not necessarily get to experience otherwise and just getting a bunch of global friends um my MBA was full of I think we had something like 18 or 20 different countries represented in a cohort of 50 people so that gives you an idea as well about how much it's very global opportunity it's not just wherever you're based I've got friends all over the world now from the experiences that I had through that program you make a good point because I have spoken to professionals that want to like work in the US and they can't because like the visa thing is super hard. But you bring up a good solution where if you go to school like in a country you got to work at, it becomes easier because you do have that window to work via permit for a couple of years and hopefully get someone to sponsor you. So at least it buys you time, right? Then trying to go straight into working at another country without the education. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so from your career story so far, you worked at a consulting firm, you're in the industry side now, right? So has the MBA from a skills perspective made you better in the role that you currently are in? Yeah, it's a bit of a funny one. My circumstance is a little bit unusual because I did the MBA, but I went back into the same work area that I had been in. So I wouldn't say it made me better at my job necessarily you know, I can do different things at work now from that perspective. But I think, again, the network, I've been able to get a lot of mentors and sponsors for my work since I came into industry. That's led to a lot of growth and opportunity. I probably feel more confident myself in terms of my knowledge and experience. And like I said before, like that was one of the things I wanted out of it. Like I was also always a little bit insecure about not really knowing what was fully going on. And I didn't feel like I had the right education to do some of the things that I was doing. And that's a personal reflection, not a reflection necessarily of anyone else around me. But I think the MBA gave me that confidence to say, you know what, I did all of this stuff in a short space of time. I could probably go and do anything now and I'd feel confident in my ability to pick up whatever needed to be done. And I think that's a bit different as well. So it's more of an internal change in my mindset then it necessarily has been anything that has led to me doing anything necessarily different at work. So yeah, I don't know if that's a good answer to your question. But no, that makes sense. It basically helped you build that internal confidence resulting in being a better performer because you have a more confident mindset, right? 
Yeah, and I think the only example from an education perspective that's slightly different is the angel investing side of things. So I didn't even know what a cap table was. I didn't know what venture capital firms were. I didn't know what a term sheet was. That's all, they're all things that I learned through the MBA program. And I think that obviously I'm using now very regularly as part of my investing portfolio. So that's definitely one that I would say was like a more direct correlation between the education piece. But yeah, I think it's all network for me, just having that amazing network. And as I said, I can drop anyone a LinkedIn message and say, hey, would you be interested in X? Would you be willing to have a chat about Y? I want to learn a bit more about this. Although I did a little bit of it pre-MBA, I think now it's very much part of my day-to-day life. And I think that probably makes you better at work. Awesome. Again, I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today, Zainab. So I want to end this episode with one last question for you because you have had an amazing journey in your career. So my podcast, as you know, is about helping professionals overcome common career challenges. So what has been one big career challenge that you had to face in your career? What steps did you take to overcome it to get to where you are today as a professional? So I think my biggest reflection on that is I always felt like passion comes from you knowing what you want to do from day dot and you're just interested in that and it's a very natural process and I never really had anything that was particularly passionate about apart from you know women in business but I mean in terms of kind of an industry or a type of work like my husband is an engineer and he's obsessed with rail he's obsessed with trains he loves building that end-to-end my sister's a marine biologist from day seven she's said I'm going to save the tortoises and she went out and that's what she does day to day but I think for most people the majority of people you know we're not born with necessarily those passions however I think cultivating a passion is probably was my biggest challenge understanding that actually passion comes from you at proactively building an interest in something because the more you dig deeper into it the more interesting it gets and the more you can have conversations and then it is actually a passion of yours so mine's insurance I love the insurance industry I think it's amazing my first role was in insurance I've worked with seven or eight insurance firms I think the early graduate program that I was on cultivated that interest in the insurance industry for me. And ever since, it's just got a very special place in my heart. I learned so much from it. I understand it really well. I love having conversations with people in the industry. I love the culture in the industry. But that hasn't necessarily come from you know me waking up one day and being like, I love insurance. I'm going to go and be in this industry. It really came from being interested in what I did day to day, being interested in the industry as a whole, and meeting a lot of people from that industry, understanding the trends coming out of that space. And same with more broadly kind of financial services. Being in financial services taught me about different products, different types of investments. And that almost has become part of my brand. And it's something I love talking about. But again, didn't wake up one day thinking, you know, I love money. I love financial services. It's just something that comes, I think, from your day-to-day engagement with whatever you're doing. Great. And I really appreciate you taking the time to speak to us about your journey into consulting and taking your career to the next level by getting an MBA. So how can people reach out to you to learn more about you? And you also told me that you have a podcast. So why don't you let our listeners know more about the podcast so they can check it out? 
Yep. So you can find me on pretty much all socials. Um, it's Zayn Abeligi. I will provide the spelling of that to Max for your show notes. Um, you can find me on Instagram, LinkedIn. You can also follow our podcast, which is called Lattes with Leaders. You can find us. We've got LinkedIn, TikTok, Instagram. And our podcast is really about helping create a platform for female C-suite to really help other people progress to the most senior levels of corporate. So yeah, check us out. Let us know what you think. Reach out as well if you've got any questions, if you want some advice, if you just want to connect and have a chat, I'm more than happy to do that. Again, I appreciate the time and thank you so much for your insight. Thanks for having me, Max. Thank you again to Zaina for coming on my show to discuss her career and her experiences with getting her MBA and in the consulting space. As I stated at the beginning of the episode, I hope that you found her story useful in helping you make an informed decision to elevate your career. As always, if you're interested to hear my own insights and commentary based on this episode, then make sure to check out ChanCap this coming Friday, available on all popular podcast platforms. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. If you are a professional looking to get your career to the next level, then come join my private Facebook group, Career Advice with Chan with a Plan. Inside this group, I provide job search tips and career advice to help steer your career in the proper direction. I will leave a link in the show notes for you to join. This is Chan with a Plan, the podcast. I'm your host, Max Chan, and I thank you for listening.